0: Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast. I'm your host Anthony Kent on the third. We happen to have a special guest with us today. Her name is Samantha Avila. She is an art director. She's done some work in the MCU. Spider Man No Way Home. You may have heard of that movie. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Galaxy Holiday Special, and she's also on Guardians Volume Three. So we talked to her today regarding that and kind of get a little bit of an idea of what she does as an art director, what that job entails and even learned a little bit more about her and the industry that she works in. It's a really fascinating and insightful episode so I'm excited for you guys to hear this. In the meantime, I'm gonna get the follows and the and the plugs out the way here. so of course, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at MC University Pod. And also we have the Patreon, patreon.com slash Pod. We can get all of our bonus content. We have the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift episode out with Jerome Chang. Shout out to Black Dragon Roll. he's He was back for this one. Uh, also, we got Good Beef. There'll be another new episode on that soon. Also, in addition to that, we have our subscriber mailbag, which is another thing that we do every month. So if you're interested in supporting us there, please do. And uh, we are grateful for everybody who who also supports us as well. So and also one last thing with the podcast, please five star, five star, five star review the show. uh, Get those reviews up and the same subscribe on the YouTube channel and check us out at MC University Pod. And uh, yeah, we will try and make this a visual medium as well. So in the meantime, uh, enjoy the show, listen, and uh, yeah, here's Samantha Avila on MCU art directing and more. What's up, everybody? It's Anthony Canton III. This is Marvel Cinematic University. I'm joined by a special guest today. She is an art director. And she's done some couple, a couple of things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we're going to get to. Her name is Samantha Avila. Samantha, welcome to the program. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Anthony. Good. How are
0: you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. And there's so many things that we can get into about your your job and what it entails and, and how how all of that works because it's very fascinating. We don't... Normally everybody wants to talk to the actors and the directors and get into all of th- those things and plot points and spoilers when it comes to things in the MCU. But often it's also the people behind the scenes who put the stuff together like yourself. So my first question to you is in terms of your interest, what wh- when did you know that you wanted to be an artist? Because there's usually that, that feeling of this is my interest. I really like it. But when did you know that this was going to be the thing that you wanted to do?
1: Oh, well, as an artist, I think there's many forms of artistry and storytelling is one of those. I have loved stories my entire life. And early on I was awestruck with books and films that could transport me to all these new and wondrous places and really engage my imagination I have a big imagination. I don't think I knew it at the time, but when I was younger, I was always trying to set the scene for a story I was trying to tell, or I was creating fan art. Um, I was a real nerd growing up. I did things like made my own costumes, going to midnight screenings for films like the OG Lord of the Rings. Um, (laughs) I made my own stop motion animations or short films. Uh, and I would paint my own Harry Potter fan art, oh, wow. uh, but uh, yeah, it was really, so I'm sure it's buried there on the internet somewhere. <laughs> um, one defining moment though, for me was when I was in middle school and our art teacher just happened to put on a behind the scenes video. That was one hour of the making of Jurassic park. And I always loved Jurassic park growing up, but until I saw that I had not realized the amount of people that it took and that there was a whole team of artisans that just made dinosaurs. Um, I could have easily been a creature designer in this industry. I was even thinking about it before Art Direction. So when I was young, I never saw myself as an artist. Uh, In high school, I played around with the idea of being a cinematographer or writing, but I hadn't quite found my niche yet. All I knew is I loved visualizing a scene and how the details in that scene could subconsciously affect the emotions of the audience. I was not truly interested in the art department until I took a production design course in college. I never was interested before because I thought I don't know how to draw um, or build things, so I can't do that. Um, But at the encouragement of another film arts professor, once I took the production design class that she encouraged me to take, I finally found that path I wanted to pursue full time. I read about all these other designers who had come before and all the skills that they had. So anything I didn't have like architectural drawing or scenic painting, I sought those out at the college for professors who were teaching those classes. That was kind of my nutshell version of my, (laughs) of what got me into wanting to be an artist finally.
0: Mm, That's wonderful. It's it's one of those things where the actualization, the realization that you get into that that space, that you know what you want to do. And often, so many people have a lot of struggles with that. And, of course, it's normal. It's a part of life where you don't necessarily know what you want to do. I think it's just such a common struggle. So you always got to keep finding your way and do stuff if you, like, really love something. It normally uh, brings rings true and shines out. So one of the most interesting things when it comes to the fandom in the MCU is how does that work when you actually work for the MCU? Because you always hear about Kevin Feige having the snipers out and and got to be in trouble of leaking stuff. People have leaked stuff online before with the the watermark on and have gotten in huge trouble. Seen that many times. What has it been like for you uh, working for Marvel Studios with as much detail as you can?
1: you can say. As I'm allowed to say. Um, I am a big fan of working with Marvel. I love working with Marvel. I had, as an outsider and a filmmaker, I'd been watching all the Marvel films. And so when Avengers Endgame came out, I thought, well, that's it. I missed the boat to be part of this franchise. Um, boy, was I wrong. (laughs) Um, so when I got the call to join the MCU on Spider-Man No Way, ha- no Way Home, I honestly did feel like coming into a family. So there were people who had been working with Marvel for years in as directors and production, props, special effects, construction. So they were extremely welcoming to us first time newbies. And I found it as, equally exciting to come in as a fan and then get to deconstruct timelines with the people who had been developing this universe long before we even came on board. Um, I would say the big difference for me in working for Marvel is that there's the, the big difference of, of everything else is that there's a greater scope of world building and storytelling going on than I've ever experienced how these characters or these sets overlap in other films, stories, comics. Uh, Thankfully, there's a creative Marvel team who Mm -hmm. we were able to look to and they would steer us to or away from an idea because they might know something we don't and that we're not told, thankfully. Um, (laughs) I would say NDAs and things like that, which are non-disclosure agreements and something that helps that we always sign um, on every film, help keep the secrets. Uh, So all those things, like you said, watermark scripts. Yes, we get those Uh, watermarked illustrations. We have to work with that sometimes code names. And I do think that secrecy at Marvel is paramount more so than other projects because I'm personally a champion of no spoilers. So I'm in full support of wanting to protect that narrative. I think it's important to preserve the heart of a story. So when you as an audience member are experiencing it for the first time, you get to go on this emotional journey with these characters and it's so cathartic. And I have to say, watching the fan reactions of the Spider-Man No Way Home, when people are in the theater and I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a moment where I saw people jumping out of their seats and screaming and clapping and crying. And why would you want to spoil that?
0: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. And in, a, in addition to that, because you, you mentioned notes from the studios, like where to go and stuff like that. Do you have, is when you're doing a certain project, is there notes that you send to them that, hey, maybe this might work? in a specific way, or are there guidelines or just like these are the guidelines?
1: Well, what I like about being in the art department, just like any creative department, is you are very collaborative. Filmmaking is about collaboration. So things change. Uh, Sometimes a global pandemic will change things for you. So that was a big change in storyline for us. Um, Mm -hmm. Actor availability, that is another thing. So what happens a lot of times with the sets is we're working with a practical world as well, actors and, and, and locations and budget. And then there's a the creative side where we get to bounce ideas off each other. So the sanctum basement went through a lot of iterations of different kinds of designs. Um, and sometimes we would send ideas, they would send us ideas. And so we're, Developing this as we go along.
0: Mm, gotcha. So uh, funny that you mentioned the Sanctum. Uh, our producer no. Jake Christie, my co-host, couldn't be no. here today. He sends his love. But he he asked in the case of the Sanctum, and No Way Homer, in nowhere in Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, mm-hmm. how do you approach giving new life to a place that audiences have seen in a previous film?
1: Mm, yeah, i I would say it comes down to the story. So with the Sanctum, something that uh, Charles Woods, who was the designer on Dr. Strange One, and he's done some of the Avengers films, a lot of Marvel films, actually, if you look him up, brilliant designer. When we were consulting with him just because he had done this before, and the Sanctum foyer specifically, something he told us was to think of the Sanctum as a living being. And that's actually something that comes from the comics. It can change itself. It's a little sentient. So we don't have to worry too much about every single point of geography lining up with previous films. Um, The foyer specifically in No Way Home, not much of a spoiler because in the beginning, uh, there was a catastrophe happen when a portal was left open. And so it got covered with snow. Um, (laughs) But something we had been developing was realizing there's a lot of questions that come up like, What happened to the hole in the staircase when the Hulk fell through? And so we're telling the story saying, well, enough time has passed that they've repaired it. But then we had to fantasize, well, how do you get down to the basement? We've never been to the basement before. So that all comes from the script and the story. Doctor Strange walking with Peter, going to the basement. How do we get there? So things like that where we had to make a map to inform the length of our stairwell. For instance, to get to the mm-hmm. basement, um, and the basement itself was incredibly fun. Like that was a new that was a new set entirely than we've seen in any of the other films, um, and it was a new place we could breathe life into. And our director John Watts had this comical reference from The Simpsons. Uh, there was an episode where they tour Mr. Burns' grand mansion, and they finally get to the basement, and they're severely underwhelmed. Um, so we got to ask questions like. What do Strange and Wong do on their spare time when they're not fighting the big bad? Who does the laundry? What repairs were made to modernize the basement? (laughs) And when? how many Sorcerer Supremes have lived there over the years? And what remnants did they leave behind? So we get to tell this, this whole story using what we know about the previous sets that have been in the previous films and the comics. Honestly, if you really want to take a deep dive. And you look, yeah. and we did this, look at the history of the sanctum. There is a basement and a comic out there. Um, and there's all these other places you know, and Dr. Strange two hadn't come out and they got to explore that even more. And we didn't know about that. So, you know, that's the, that's one aspect and one set we worked with. And then in nowhere, <laughs> I love nowhere. Um, <laughs> if everybody can get their timeline, right? So the last time we had seen Nowhere in Infinity War, Thanos had um, destroyed the planet last time we were there. So our Nowhere in the holiday special that you saw, and not big spoiler because it's in the trailer, uh, when we are going to see it again in Volume 3, was a brand new build. But I was personally religious about poring over all the details from Guardians 1, from Infinity War, um, and that loading dock. And I discovered a ton of elements and details I had never noticed before from all those designs that helped me inform my decisions on this new set. Um, and aesthetically, there was a few other references I might not mention, but that really mm-hmm. helped us as an art department start to nail down what that look was because it doesn't just come automatically just because someone's done it before you have to, you have to get in to the mindset of the design and the aesthetic and be able to expand upon that.
0: Mm. It's very fascinating stuff because when, as you're mentioning all of this, I think of the question of when you begin a process, like you're doing Mm -hmm. guardians of the galaxy holiday special yeah. What is that process when it starts? Yeah, you mentioned the collaborative effort. You're doing these, you're doing the stuff, the due diligence as far as looking at maybe former comic panels, former movies and stuff like that. So how does that come together with you and your team? And because I think of something like the, the holiday lights in Nowhere it was just so wonderful. It was I, I felt it was November and I was already in Christmas mode as I watched it. So if you could tell me like how that process works, because some people may feel like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's a little bit too detailed, but no, this is, this is like really interesting because yes. it's all a part of making the magic.
1: Yes. And that's our lives. Like our lives in the art department are about the details that sometimes you will never notice or see. But it sets, it's again, it sets the scene. It's what I want to do my whole life. Um, So um, I would say to to back up to the question of like the process. So just to to, uh, give you kind of lay of the land, as art directors, we're hired by the production designer who is the head of the art department. And they've already developed concept illustrations, research, sometimes sketches for what they want the set to look like by the time we're hired. So, for instance, on um, No Way Home, there's multiple art directors. On Guardians, there were multiple art directors. And the total number of the sets in the film are split up between all of us. So um, our our designer on No Way Home, Darren Guilford, and supervising art director Dave Scott, told me when I started that I would be given the Sanctum Foyer, the Sanctum Basement, and Statue of Liberty sets, which included the scaffolding, the head, the shield. I also got Lola's house, too, which I loved. <laughs> um, but then on nowhere, it was I came in and they're like, nowhere. That's what you get. And our designer Beth Mickle, who is amazing, and again, supervising art director Dave Scott, but also with Alan Hook, we had two supervisors. Um, they said you get nowhere. And I looked at the concept illustrations and was like, Okay, that's why I I only have nowhere, because it's a giant main street. With multiple buildings, interiors, exteriors, effects, changeovers, the holiday special. So, speaking to that, that was a, a whole new nugget that I've, I've only experienced once before on Westworld when we had to do a Super Bowl commercial. Mm. So, we were going to shoot the holiday special sometime um, throughout the shoot of Guardians 3, and that was a whole other schedule. And right. so thankfully, we had enough time. We didn't shoot it right up front. We had enough time to shoot it. So we actually were shooting that in December, January of last year, I feel like February. Okay. Um, and and thank you for the compliments and like everybody who loved it. <laughs> it was embraced so beautifully by everyone. And, and James is such a wonderful storyteller. Um, it was really lovely to see how many people loved it. Um, and so there was a big changeover, like I was saying, in between the volume three filming and the holiday special. So what we told in the storyline of the set was how much time has passed. So by the time you finish watching the Guardians special to the time you see volume three, hopefully hopefully you'll see the passage of time in some of those details that you're mentioning. Um, But then all those... Christmas lights. So our yes,
0: yes. All those
1: Christmas lights, <laughs> our incredible set decorating team led by the ever so brilliant Rosemary Brandenburg. Look her up. She has done, if not all, at least one of your favorite films. Um, she had to, she and her team bought, I think about four miles of Christmas lights to dress on. Oh, that. wow. <laughs> it was a lot wow, of... Business. Four miles? Four miles. Jeez. Four miles. <laughs> on top of like building the Christmas tree, the Santa, the sleigh, and everything. It's not like you could just go out and get Christmas decorations. This is nowhere. So there was like a lot of fun that we had, and we laughed a lot about the absurdity of how nowhere citizens who've never been to Earth would have interpreted this Earth holiday. And there were all these details that the set decorating department does who, who does work under and kind of with the art department almost as a separate entity. They're almost like the cousin to the art department. Um, And they are led by the set decorator. And so there was an army of dressers and buyers dressing nowhere for Christmas. And there was all these little details that not even I see sometimes until the end. Like one of my favorite ones was my last day on the set. I look up where all the stockings are and there's one for Cosmo with, like, a tennis ball and some treats and chew toys. <laughs> and I just thought, like, that That there is just wonderful.
0: <laughs> no, it, it, it's it's really, really incredible stuff. And also, I, I should ask, because I thought one of the more telling things, thinking about it now, and one of the more interesting things was how the special began with the animation. Oh, what, no. what, 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 what? If 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 any if anything that you may know what what goes into that portion of it and what what makes that a story choice and how you decide overall as a team to put mm-hmm. something like it like that in because it, it felt very effective for the beginning and the end of the special
1: I honestly that I I don't know a hundred percent but I do feel like that came from James mainly okay it may have come it it may have come through Marvel but I. I even read this somewhere later that James wanted it to feel like the old, uh, you know, Rudolph specials and, uh, frosty specials, you know, the animations. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I honestly don't know exactly where that came from. I feel like that creative decision was all him and, and Marvel. Um, we did shoot on stage, I think with some of the actors and some of the props that was animated later, Okay. Um, so I, yeah, I wish I could speak more to that, but I think that was their creative decision entirely.
0: No, all, all good. All good on that front. So we mentioned guardians of the galaxy. Yes. Obviously we have this humongous film coming out in may. <laughs> it's going to be very emotional for fans who have rooted for these, these characters since yeah. their introduction in 2014. And I think one of the things that I came away with the, from, with the special was how much I missed these these characters together oh. in this format. So being able to see them again in what seems to be, due uh, due to the, what the trailer looked like, a little <laughs> more emotionally wrought, mm. what do you take away in terms of coming into that project when you started working on that? Is there any internal pressure for you to... Uh, deliver something tremendous even with, you know, with the, with the characters and this being maybe possibly a, a send off, no spoilers, of <laughs> course, but, but yeah, what were your feelings like working on this particular project as it's going to be a very impactful one?
1: I hope it is. I hope it is. We have so much love for guardians three truly And I put tons of pressure on myself, especially with these kind of films, um, because I know it already... Not to say I don't put pressure on myself with the other projects. I absolutely do. But I do know that there's sometimes a fan base. And honestly, I think after No Way Home, I was like, oh, yeah, I could do Guardians, you know, with that pressure. (laughs) Because No Way Home, there was... Holy smokes. I felt... The amount of fandom, not just from this um, timeline, but multiple timelines, um, and me as a fan, was also very intense. I, I put up maybe too much pressure on myself. So when I came into this, I knew that there was a long history, both with the fans, these characters, the comics. um And with James and Kevin Feige and these stories that they've been telling. Um, I know there was a lot of backstory as well as visual narrative from the previous Guardians film, from production designers Charles Wood and Scott Chambliss. And making sure that we prayed proper visual homage to that. Um, I know that this is an incredible playground with these much loved characters. And we did want to do them justice in the set, because that's what we're in control of. So again, tried to do little Easter eggs here and there, callbacks and things like that. Um, we all approved, (laughs) all approved. Um, (laughs) And so our, again, our fabulous designer on Guardians 3, Beth Mickle, and so much of the art department had worked with James before on Suicide Squad 2. They had a great professional relationship and trust, which made our jobs as art directors easier to move forward. Um, and it's strange for me going from a fan to a creator, and I think that's why I put so much pressure on myself. I take that fandom very seriously, and I personally want to make sure I give as much care and love to a set with our team as I know any of the fans would do.
0: Mm, yeah, it, it has to be a lot because you mentioned Spider-Man: No Way Home, and I just remember the fever pitch <laughs> because. <laughs> People were just going nuts that we didn't get a trailer until, I think, a few months before. We had gotten to the point, the MCU fandom is just such an... I'll just just describe it as interesting in the way that it's evolved over the years to this incredibly intense, as you mentioned, Mm. just feeling for these characters and things like that. So I I couldn't imagine what anybody working on that film... Could have could have felt like, especially you're dealing with bringing certain people back. You're actually dealing with 20 years of yes. Spider-Man film canon,
1: yes, which is nuts. On top <laughs> of like all the comics, so yeah, that I think that the great thing is, I know John Watts is such a brilliant director, and watching him work with these actors, watching him develop this story and understand comic beats, relief, but also real heart is something that I was really impressed by. And I think we all put a lot of trust and faith, not just in John, who's a brilliant uh, storyteller, but Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige and all these creatives who have been behind the scenes, like developing these characters and... I think in terms of what you're saying with the Marvel base, what I love is seeing how these stories and these characters, just like me as a kid growing up watching Spider-Man and being a nerdy, geeky, not good at (laughs) athletics kid, Spider-Man gave me hope. And so
0: Mm.
1: I get to watch, I've watched all these films. And this is what I take away from the Marvel universe and a lot of superhero universes, a lot of even Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, like they give you hope. They tell you about love and friendship and freedom and like all these really basic needs that we want to have as human individuals. And so stepping into this universe with whatever I can do with the set, whether that's subconscious emotionally for you, you're watching it and there's a color, there's something in the background that. Makes you feel a certain way, like that's what I love about our version of the storytelling is to give you that
0: hopeful feeling. Oh man, that's that's incredibly wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, in 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 terms of because you've not only done movies, you've done TV as well. You mentioned mm. Westworld. Mm. I was curious, are there any specific differences in doing TV and movies? Mm-hmm. Do you find it more, is there more difficulty? Is there just something, a, a certain intricacy that's a little bit different? What, 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 do, you, what do you think about that?
1: Um, I know that everybody has a different opinion on this, but for me, it's really the pace and the budget. So okay. t- typically, but not always, films are coordinated around uh, one storyline. And it's going to be a few hours worth of storytelling. All shot at once, uh, backed by a studio with the intention. Again, this has changed in recent years, but with theatrical distribution. Now it's a lot of streaming, but mainly when you're Mm -hmm. doing a film, you're thinking of it. Okay, this little thing that I'm seeing that's uh, six inches tall is going to be 40 feet tall. Um, And this can lend itself this idea and all these concepts of like bigger. It means... Sometimes a more generous budget, which could mean larger sets and crew. Um, TV, for me anyway, feels a bit more erratic. And that seems to be also the general vibe that I get from people who have worked in TV. So you're shooting multiple episodes that are one to one and a half hours. So you're doing 10 to 12 hours worth or more um, of a story. So you have different also directors and cinematographers coming in. And all these episodes can be shooting at the same time. Sometimes they overlap each other. You have a first unit, a second unit on both shoots, on both episodes. Um, you're jumping around multiple timelines, sets, and and typically, not, but not always, you have a tighter budget and a schedule than a film would allow. Um, mm-hmm. The interesting thing in the last, I would say 10 years is watching TV take on a high concept, high budget uh, persona than we, than I, what I grew up with. So our TV shows like Westworld, Stranger Things. Um, I just started watching The Last of Us.
0: Same here. (laughs) I was thinking of that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So good.
1: um, Yeah. It's been, um, it's been really great to watch how TV has taken on this own life of its own. And you see if a TV show is popular, sometimes the next seasons that come along, the subsequent seasons have a larger budget because they're doing so well.
0: Right. Right. And well, we've seen, we've seen Marvel studios get into this over the last couple of years with Disney plus and, and adding that to the mix. And it's not without, it's, it's not without its growing pains and trying Mm -hmm. to figure that out because the transition as it seems from the outside doesn't doesn't seem that easy because it's you know when you're used to doing one thing it you get a little bit comfortable but in a way marvel is has been coming out of their comfort zone a little bit trying to do some different things and and i can, i can say as watching and consuming this content as i have it's been very fascinating to see the reactions to that mm. because people I guess, view it in a different type of way. And I think it's it, it, as you were talking about that, like your own feelings, not necessarily about Marvel, but kind of like you mentioned the streaming industry be, becoming a, a a big player and really becoming in a lot of ways the majority of television these days. Yeah. How do you feel about that as a consumer, a, a, a consumer of content? Wow.
1: I think I love it. I don't know if I'm going to answer this question entirely, but I do like as speaking as a consumer, I love it. I do think there might be almost too much at a certain point. Like I swear every time I come in on a Monday and everybody's like, did you see this show? Did you see that show? I'm like, how do people have time to watch all this stuff? Um, yeah, I <laughs> but you know, I, you know, speaking to the, the Disney plus and the, the Marvel universe, I do. I did love seeing those first three shows that came out. WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Loki. And I knew that a lot of my friends had been working on that and getting to see, not that there wasn't a lot of variety in the other films or, or, or art, because holy smokes, if there's anything I've learned working for Marvel, you wanna talk about creative art departments, that's it. I mean, you get so much creativity there, but getting to see this branch into TV shows and trying something else, even the werewolf special, that they did Um, black and white, you know, and Loki, Hmm. as far as art departments go. um, I mean, I I love all my friends who did all WandaVision was also great, but I know for me personally, looking at that and what Kazra did the designer and his team of people, those sets were so luscious and it was timelines and, and spaces that I just was not used to seeing in a Marvel universe and how it was shot and it was all over the place and it, but it was beautiful, you know, shot by, um, Autumn, the cinematographer. Um, but it was, it was like one of those things where you go, wow. Okay. Like everything I assumed, I thought I knew about the Marvel universe. Now there's this aesthetic that really, I think Marvel is allowing creators not just art departments but directors and cinematographers to play in more this storytelling from what i've seen i, I can't speak from their side of it but as a consumer that's what i'm noticing
0: yes yes and, and now very very interesting stuff very curious to see where that where that goes going forward mm-hmm. but um i, I definitely w- wanted to ask another jake question jake yeah. had this one it was one specifically close to his heart oh. So he says, you worked with Steven Soderbergh on the laundromat. What are the pros and cons of being an art director with a director known for shooting very fast? Is there more collaboration ahead of time or is it an ongoing conversation on set?
1: Ah, Steven Soderbergh, so brilliant. Um, It was, for me, honestly, a wonderful learning experience to be with a director who was very clear and very decisive about what he wanted. He, Soderbergh, is a highly intelligent and creative man. Uh, That was another wonderful collaboration, again, between our designer, Howard Cummings, and Stephen, who had worked together numerous times before. Um, I personally felt the prep time was on par with other films, so that wasn't rushed. Mm -hmm. Um, I was supervising art director on that one. Um, But being on set was lightning speed, uh, which we had to be prepared Mm -hmm. for. Um, I definitely realized that the excuse of, oh, we'll have time to finish that other set while they're shooting this set in the morning uh, does not apply. So (laughs) I wouldn't call it a a con. It's just an awareness that made me be more equipped to prepare myself in the future. So never put off tomorrow, which you can get done today. Um, Always communicate with your team in case something needs to change. um, And you are prepared to make that change. But I would say I loved the opportunity working with Soderbergh and uh, Howard Cummings, our designer on that.
0: No, awesome, awesome stuff. And I know, for, I know for me, when it comes to a particular question, because uh, I, I, I tend to ask a lot of, whenever I talk to people, whether it's you or even a director in the past or, or stuff like that, people who are in the industry trying to figure out their way, what is some advice that you would give to somebody who's trying to get in, in this industry? Because I can imagine it's not always easy in certain aspects trying to deal with just kind of like uh, the bureaucracy of things at times. But, but just generally, if there was any advice that you could give to somebody trying to get into your line of work, uh, what would you right. tell them?
1: In, in art direction or in just in film in general?
0: I I guess you could say both since you've been, you've been heavily involved in, in big, (laughs) uh, big monster movies.
1: (laughs) Love my monster movies. Um, so in terms of general filmmaking, I think it's taken me a while to narrow down what those, what these elements are that make someone successful. I, maybe not just in film, but in life and, I've heard these terms used over and over again. So I'll repeat them here, which is resilience, persistence, education, communication, and respect. Um, And so elaborating on that a bit, for me, persistence and resilience means you keep going when it gets tough and it will get tough, uh, whether that's long hours, constant schedule changes, dealing with angry egos. Um, and sometimes, and this has happened to me before multiple times, a film will just collapse. It'll fold and you'll be out of a job for weeks or months. For some people, it turns mm. into a year or more, I mean, especially with COVID when everything shut down. And a running joke in our industry is uh, no matter how successful you are, sometimes you feel like you're never going to work again. Um, and it's really hard, it's harder than it seems to pick yourself up after that and keep going. Always going. Um, (laughs) Always. (laughs) It's hard. It's really hard. Um, um, And I do want to mention that because I do think there's a misconception that you see somebody succeed and it was easy for them and they knew what they wanted to do. And hopefully I've talked about a bit of where I came from and figuring it out and keep going and keep working. Um, The education side of it, It doesn't mean you need to go to college and get a degree. I'm a huge fan of schooling, but what I've noticed is even people who have not gotten a degree, they're learning. They're picking up a new skill set. They found a mentor to learn from, um, or they've been reading or watching YouTube videos and interviews, and that is learning as well. And it's constant learning. Right now, I'm spending, uh, because I'm unemployed at the moment, I am spending some time learning new Photoshop skills. I wanted to learn Unreal, um, which is a, a gaming program, but that's being used in the industry a lot now. So it's, th- that's the kind of education I'm talking about. Cause it will always make you, um, job worthy. That's not the right term, but, um, hireable, right. you know, you'll have skill sets right. that you're developing. Um, and that doesn't mean it always has to be new and flashy sketching, drawing, painting comes in handy for me sometimes just as often as it does 3D modeling. Um, And then communication for me as an art director, this is also very important um, because I'm like a lot of my day beyond making budgets and or sometimes working with budgets and schedules and calendars is I'm going around and I'm sharing that information and I'm figuring out how to say it and who to say it to at the right time. And that's just my, my job that I wouldn't say that's the same for somebody who, for instance, is an illustrator. They have a different way of communicating. Um, but beyond that, the industry in general, find contacts. It is not always about who you know, but that's a part of it. So reach yeah. out to anyone you can get your hands on. Uh, you may not always hear back, but one person can make all the difference. For me, I moved to LA. This is the second half of the <laughs> art department storyline.
0: Oh no, pl- yeah, please do. <laughs> when,
1: um, when I moved out to LA, my, my production design professor, I had shown that I had a serious interest in this. And one of the designers who had also gone to UT Austin was Michael Kornblith, who had designed Apollo 13 and the Grinch and the Alamo. Um, and he came to do a talk for um, my professor, John Blood, his students. And Michael, and John had told Michael that I was thinking of going to LA. And Michael said, well, if you move out, when you move out, here's my email, shoot me an email. First person I emailed, and when I got to LA, on top of, I don't even know, 100 other letters, emails, some people I heard back from, some people I didn't. But Michael was one of the people who said, great, I have a theater project in two weeks. I don't know if I can pay you. I might be able to pay you something, but do you want to join? And I was like, absolutely. You know, and and if you see that door open, sometimes you have to learn when to walk through it. And it's about, it's about then actually, the other thing I would say is timing, which you can't control. But I do believe in some kind of force out there that if you show all of these other things and you've shown your commitment to something, and you are reaching out to all these people, the timing will work. Like you'll get that magic spark. You just have to keep believing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I couldn't agree with you more. I think because that, what you just said is kind of universal in, in a lot of things. Um, The who you know part is, is very important too, to a degree. You have to be mindful of that I, I, and I think the other thing that you said that kind of will go under the radar and in a lot of ways is kind of lost in today's society, but respect, oh, gosh, I think right. respect yes, is, yes. Yeah, respect is 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 number one. I think in order to get to where you want or need to go, you always have to be mindful that it's not just about yes. you. And if you keep your, if your intentions remain pure and your intentions remain that you want to do good work, not just for yourself, but for the people around you, then that energy usually leads to good things. Mm -hmm. And that part of sticking with it and resilience and persistence um, is so true. It's so true in so many walks of life that, um, no, that's an incredibly, incredibly insightful answer. And I will say the the final thing that I will ask yeah. you. And it, this is kind of to all of the stuff that you've worked on in the mm-hmm. industry. You may not have necessarily have a favorite or something that you're most proud of. So I'll kind of change the question and mm. be like, in your experience overall working through everything, what do you feel like you've learned about yourself during that oh, time?
1: Oh, wow. Um over over everything I've done, what have I learned about myself? Uh, <laughs> I think the thing I-
0: <laughs> I'm a, I'm a very introspective person, so yeah. I, I I love asking people about like themselves and how do they feel about what yeah. they've experienced and you've experienced I experience a lot.
1: On, I, honestly, this sounds so cliche, <laughs> but I'm like. The more I learn, the more I realize how little I know. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> it's, it's so true, though.
1: <laughs> and it's crazy because you come out of school with all these skills and they tell you all these things. You've read all these books, watched all these films. And the more you work, the more you're like, I didn't know that or I've never done that. And that you, you are gaining a lot of knowledge. But kind of even going back to what you said about respect, which... My gosh, I don't think I could top that answer. That was brilliant because it's true. Something I've definitely learned about myself is that even though I said I respected people, I didn't show them what that meant, which means, for instance, our construction foremen are brilliant people. They know how to build stuff that you've only dreamed about. I mean, they can build anything twisting, turning, crazy sets any any set, and they do it fast. And I was very insecure and insecurity in the beginning can lead to frustration and it can lead to bad communication. And so something I've learned about myself is I was just terrified. I was terrified to ask them, what do you think? Because I felt like I was the one who had to have all the answers. So now what I've learned is how to be a better collaborator. And that means going to people and not always saying, I don't know. I don't know. You know, that's not what it is. It's respecting someone's knowledge and going to them and saying, can you help me figure out this problem? And it's not like um, patronizing them. It's like, honestly, I don't quite know what to do. Like asking for help. That is a hard thing. It's still hard for me sometimes to pick up the phone and go, I'm running into this issue with this program or like, you know, because you're worried about looking dumb. You're worried about getting made fun of. And I think that is a deep seated thing that I know I had since I was young. I didn't want to get made fun of. Well, that prevents you sometimes from growing. And so that is a thing I've learned is asking for help, learning constantly learning and respecting other people enough to because they will they will open up to you what I've realized when you ask these questions people's life story and people's skill set is sometimes above and beyond anything you could have ever imagined and so I consistently sometimes I'm working with people and I'm like I didn't know that about you or like I had no idea you know how to do that and it, it 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 helps them be a collaborator with you. And I think maybe now more than even when I first got in, where I was like, I'm going to be in an art department and do art. Now it's, I want to be a collaborative storyteller with other people. And that's been a really wonderful thing to learn.
0: Oh man. Yeah. You could, you couldn't have said oh. that any better in terms of asking yeah. for help. I think, it is so common. We we as people do not realize how much we get into our own heads about the smallest yes. of details and the smallest of things. And it only takes one moment to pick up a phone. And if you know somebody who happens to know something, then not only they'll be able to help you, they'll be willing to help you. Yes. And I think that in turn is something that, it always reminds me that when somebody asks me for my help, is to not to just give the help, but give it willingly in a way that you know instills them with confidence. Because mm-hmm. it's so easy to kind of get lost. It, it it just really is easy to get lost in your own thoughts. It's it's a incredibly. See, this is why I ask yeah. these questions because I know that people are always have good answers within them. And Samantha, you you proved me right. Once again, um, Samantha. I, Samantha. I just want to say that this was such a pleasure. I really appreciate you uh, coming on, and uh, I also want to give a little shout out to uh, our mutual buddy. Uh,
1: yes, Cam, thank who you,
0: Cam. this thing up. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> shout out, this to is Cam. really
1: wonderful. Yes. Honestly, I love, I love sharing what I can, what I know, and maybe help inspire others um in what little way it can and also as a fan getting to talk about these things is really fun for me. Thank you.
0: Yes, it's a w- wonderful stuff. Before we go, is there anything that you would like to plug in terms of whether you have website, your social, if you have social or anything like that? Oh. It just hit, hit me. With I do
1: have a website. Uh, it's samantha-avila dot com um so it's samantha dash uh as an apple v as in victory ila dot uh, com and i would just love to plug guardians of the galaxy volume three <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> please yes. please go see it we put our heart and soul into this and we are so proud oh my gosh do we have some stuff coming for you guys to see
0: oh my goodness i i cannot wait samantha what a pleasure uh My name is Anthony Canton III. You guys know the follows. You guys know where to find us. And we will talk to you next time.